Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, Listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into The Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is the show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. The tagline for this podcast is Real People in Unreal Situations. 
And today's story is about as unreal as it gets. Imagine you're leaving work one night. It's dark. You're walking through the parking lot, and suddenly an SUV with two men inside pulls up beside you. One of them jumps out and grabs you, throws you in the car, and they quickly drive away. And there was no one around to see this happen. They drive for a while, but you can't see where they're taking you. You end up at a house. You don't know where you are, but you know it's very quiet. There are no sounds of traffic, no other human activity nearby. Then they start beating you. This might sound like a bad dream or the opening scene to a horror movie, but for Tyson, it was real life. When he first told me what happened, it sounded just a little too bizarre. And on this podcast, I don't cover situations that are fictional, only true stories. So I did the research. I obtained police reports, verified addresses, all that to make sure Tyson's story is true. Unfortunately for him, it actually happened. Before we get to that, I have a question for you. I'm thinking about doing a special episode of Frequently Asked Questions about this podcast. Not 100% sure yet, but I'm considering it because there are some questions I get asked all the time, like how do I find these people and these stories? So if you have a question you'd like to get answered, I'd like to hear from you. Just send me an email at scott at whatwasthatlike.com. And now, here's the conversation I had with Tyson. Do you ever look back at this whole situation and think, did that really happen? It's one of those things that I really wish that it didn't. It's it's frankly been very hard at times to the point where I've to the point where I've lost jobs over it, where I've lost relationships over it, where I've needed to even just leave town and run away simply so that I could feel safe as a person. I mean, I'm the only person I know who has a uh, really an emotional support closet that I can run off to and sort of collect my thoughts. It's... Mm. It's something that it would definitely make my life a whole lot easier if it didn't happen. I can see that. Yeah. There are just so many bizarre elements to this story, and I've got lots of questions, but I'm going to let you, for the most part, just tell the story. Can you talk about the first night you were at work and you were leaving work? What what kind of work was it? Where did you work then? I was working at Circuit City. Uh, I had been working in Bellevue, Washington on uh, Circuit City had at that time started to uh, run their own version of the Geek Squad. And I was the second person hired in order to do that work and help to figure out how they would go about doing it. So what that meant was I would usually show up early, leave late, even close up shop after locking away customers' equipment so that it didn't accidentally get sold to someone or go missing. And one night I was leaving work late, and uh, Roman, who was the store manager, was walking out with me. He offered to give me a ride to the bus stop because it was raining, and 
looking back on it, I really should have taken him up on it. But that night I didn't. I was walking the three quarters of a mile to hop the bus and go home. And a yellow Land Rover drove up beside me and asked if I needed help. I said, no, thanks. Kept walking. And they were just continuing to keep pace with me in the parking lot, leaving the mall. And before I knew it, well, David jumped out of the passenger side door. I had a rope around my neck, was punched in the kidneys and forcibly put in the back of the car. This sounds like a scene from a movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, uh, it really happened. Oh yes. It, it definitely happened. I mean, part of me thinks that some of those scenes in movies happen because that's the way people can be. The general sense of cruelty that's inexplainable that ultimately creates the sort of villain that as an audience you can't relate to. And I'd say that out of this situation, that's what probably made things the hardest because over time as everything was happening, I not only felt like I related to Larry, but as though he loved me and was caring about me in a way that I felt that no one else had. Was this a, the classic Stockholm syndrome? I would describe any part of it as classic, but my psychologist sure says so. <laughs> I mean, that sounds what it, I'm obviously I'm not a psychologist, but that's what it sounds like where the person that's been abducted sort of identifies and sympathizes with his or her captor. And they sort of become on the same side, even though you're still being held against your will. So were you just a random target that night? They just happened to be going through the parking lot or did they specifically pick you? What they said repeatedly is, is that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which I later found out that uh, Larry, who was the main guy in charge, uh, had owned a uh, pizza place that was in the food court at the mall just across the way. So me closing up, them closing up, no one else around, crime of opportunity. So it's the two of them. You get put in the in their car. Did you lose consciousness at all? I honestly don't know. I know that by the time that I got to the house, I uh, I was being choked, and I don't remember be uh, being taken from the car inside. So you must have lost consciousness then. Yeah, unless they drugged you or something. I don't know. I, I would assume so, but uh, but I don't know. So just from take us from that point when you you're you're in the house now. What happened then? The first thing I remember when I was there is I was sitting in a wooden chair. My hands and feet were tied up, and I got punched in the gut, literally and figuratively. Larry was completely silent at first, and he was beating me. He 
would use his hands. After a while, he he pulled out a uh, uh, a wooden paddle and just started going into me. He would hit me in the face, the gut, the side. Uh, the first thing that I remember him saying is grab his hand where it was pulled out and he just full on hit it with the paddle. After that, I was thrown to the ground. I uh, had somebody standing on my neck and, and then I was told about how, What he told me was that there was no sense of fighting, that there's no trying, that that I could either do as I was told or things would get bad. And it sounded like things were already pretty bad. Yeah. It's the whole thing felt unbelievable. It felt like I would do anything say anything to simply get away. And after that, I was dragged by a rope that I had around my neck into a room down the hall, thrown on top of a bunch of uh, empty boxes and left in there for, well, a whole day. As I'm picturing this and trying to put myself in your position, obviously you feel pain, but it seems like the biggest thing would be confusion. Like, what's the motive? Why would they grab me and just, are they just going to kill me? Or what, what are they going to, what, did they say anything about what the plan was or why any of this was happening? Not for the first couple days. It was was probably the hardest part where I didn't get to know what was going on. I I was left alone with my thoughts, not able to sleep, and trying to figure out really why me, what was going on, was this even real? What can I do to change this? But there was nothing, right? I mean, you were completely powerless if you were restrained completely or absolutely what could you do right yes i i was powerless in that situation i really the best thing that happened was a couple days later when david came in in order to well clean me up put me in the shower give me something to drink and uh, trying to get me to eat where he would tell me what was going on and how uh, I'd been taken that they weren't going to let me go that I needed to accept what was going on. If I was told something that I would obey it completely. And that if I didn't, then I wouldn't, like what happens next. And in that moment, I 
truly believed that David was he was as close to an ally or as a friend as I could have in that situation. Like he cared about me in the way that Larry, the leader of this whole thing did not. And that he, that he wanted me to be okay. But he didn't have any choice in being able to let you go. No. Since Larry was like the leader here. No. In fact, this whole thing ended up taking a turn for the weird when uh, David told me that that Larry believes himself to be a god and that he just doesn't know. But he's afraid of him, so he will do as he's told as well. So, really, David didn't have the option of leaving either then? No. He was Larry's brother, and at times he had said that he was trying to protect him, to help him, to make sure that he would be okay. But it had always seemed like David was just as much on on my side of the room as he was on Larry's. So you were there, he got you out after a couple of days out of that room. What What happened after that? I was given food, I was given water, I was even allowed to listen to him watching TV. I didn't get to watch it myself. And I was told to stay. Just that. And and I did. I sat right there where I was told and remained there until Larry got home. So Larry had to leave each day because he had to go to work. Yeah. And, but David was with you all the time. Right. David, uh, I can't think of a single time that he left. Well, actually that's not true. I can't think of a time that he left when he wasn't told and accompanied. So Larry was a real estate agent which meant that he had quite a bit of flexibility over his time and schedule. But sometimes, yes, he needed to leave, and that in that time, David was left in charge. Did you ever consider a time when, okay, I'm going to wait till David goes to the bathroom, or he goes in the other room, or the door's locked that you couldn't leave? Or did you, were you ever contemplating some type of an escape during this time? Constantly. Uh, yes, the doors were locked. Escape was always on my mind. The doors were locked, which was one of those things I tried very early on. But I knew from the very first night that things were dead silent, that the only thing that I could hear was the sound of leaves rustling. And one night, a couple weeks later, I did get out. I broke a window, the one that was uh, uh, in the bathroom, actually, and started running. And it was on a gravel road, which, being barefoot, was difficult, but that was the furthest thing from my mind. And the only thing I could think is that this is a road. It must go somewhere. 
And maybe five minutes later, there was that uh, yellow Land Rover driving right after me. And I was grabbed and I was brought back. And I was grabbed and I was brought back at gunpoint, which it makes its point pretty clearly that this sort of thing won't be allowed. That trying to run is not going to work out. So did you know where you were as far as what part of town or what street you were on or anything like that? Not for the first six months, no. I was being held in uh, Maple Valley, which is... And this is in Washington. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the other side of a canyon where the only road through there was a highway that wasn't really well-traveled. And even that was probably a good two miles walk away. You needed to know it was there because you sure you certainly couldn't hear it. I'm, th- I'm just trying to imagine going for six months and not knowing where I am geographically. Yeah. What What about like your friends, your your work? Did they not report you as not coming in, or your friends report you missing? Or, I mean, obviously you wouldn't have known it at that time, but now that you're out, did they? Did anyone? Do anything like that? Roman checked up on me a couple times a day, and he'd left me voicemails on my phone until my phone was turned off because I wasn't paying it anymore, which I didn't have, but that's doesn't really matter now, does it? So he so Roman and this is your boss. Yes. I would think he would somehow think, okay, this is not right. You you just don't, you don't, people don't just disappear. Yeah. But did he feel not any real obligation other than just your employer and he feels that you just quit? I talked with him after I got away and it was obvious that he felt very badly about what happened. And he tried to get a hold of me for a couple weeks, but at a certain point when you leave dozens of messages, both as a boss and a friend. You just got to realize that, okay, fine, this other person uh, must not care about or respect you as much as you thought they did, and they're ghosting you, and that they've probably found something that they think is uh, way better than what you could offer them. Did you have, uh, at work, did you have an emergency contact person? That he could call and check on? No. Which was probably my fault there. Well, we'll blame it on human resources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there really wasn't, uh, I mean, he could go to the police, but all he knows is that you're just not returning his calls. So, I mean, there's not a lot he could have done, I guess. Thinking back on it, I don't know if I would have thought anything different that that this guy just got another job and me as his boss, he feels self-conscious and just 
wants to walk away because this is some uh this is some bullshit retail job who really sticks around and who cares about two weeks notice right it's retail none of that matters yeah yeah i don't know how many other people do this but i like to plan my weekly meals maybe i'm just weird but i like quick and easy that's just one of the benefits you can get with cook unity Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com/what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com/what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1 And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com what Code 25 what? I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. 
You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The next kind of event that happens in this whole scenario is they abduct someone else, right? Yeah. Someone else comes into the picture. So after I ran away and it seemed obvious that I wasn't listening, wasn't cooperating, that the beatings and the just being locked in a room weren't weren't making it clear what was going on and weren't that it wasn't breaking me is what I really mean to say that, that with all this stuff going on, that I wasn't breaking, they ended up going out one night. Uh, I was handcuffed to the radiator and they brought back someone else. Uh, Anastasia or Nastia, as I called her, uh, you know, nicknames and all that. She came back with them that night and they were doing much the same thing as they did to me that first night, uh, beating her. She was screaming and then David came in and brought me out and I was told that I could make that stop, that I could that I could end her pain, and that if I would listen and do as I was told, that that things would get a lot better for the both of us. And yes, I I broke. I did. I did what they told me. I walked over. I I punched her in the side as they told me to do. And I I removed her clothes and I sat back and watched as they took advantage of her. So much mental manipulation going on here, you know, with them to make you feel like you're responsible for her pain or the stop, you know, the discontinuing of her pain and her abuse. Absolutely. I was, I was told repeatedly that she was there as a punishment for me. And yes, that kept me in line. And it was, it was the start of how things would continue for a very long time that 
that I was responsible for her in it. It frankly brought us closer together as a, as friends that we both knew that if it hadn't have been us, it would be someone else that the only thing that we have control over is what was inside our own heads and that the best thing that we could do was to just try to be okay with where we found ourselves and to try to find some to try to find light in what was going on in the good times and yes there there were good times and a whole lot of good times happened after she was there it seemed as though as though larry softened as a person that he was much more it felt like he cared for us that he cared about us that he wanted us to be okay that he knew something that we didn't and was trying to make sure that we would be strong enough for for whatever else happened in our lives it almost sounds like he pictured the two of you as pets. Oh, without question. He they were for his amusement. Without question. He openly called me his little stray, which carries all kinds of imagery with it. But so much of what happened was around control and dehumanizing and and trying to make us believe that the only thing that should be on our mind was with pleasing him so did you see your position in here in this as anastasia's protector or you were just another person caught just like she was it would alternate. I would want to make sure that she was okay. And, and that sometimes, yes, our friendship was used against us. And that, that Larry knew that simply holding the well-being of her would control me. And the same was true for her. Maybe six months after we were taken... Larry even started to have us go in and run errands. I mean, there was a grocery store that was a couple miles away, and one of us would be given a list and exact change for what something would cost. We would go there, get whatever he told us, bring it back. And, and you'd walk there? Yes. And if if I was late, if he thought that I wasn't doing as I was told if they were even if they didn't have good bananas then something would happen to Nastia and it meant that I many times would just flat out run there and run back just so that just so that he wouldn't think that I was late or doing something wrong 
And if you did something wrong, she would be punished. That's the right. That was the point of it. Yes, exactly that. When you tell that story with going to the store, that to me, it's like okay, there's your opportunity. You're out. You're by yourself. You can go to the cops. What kept you from doing that? I believed him. At that point, I was even trusting him. I, I knew in every way that if I went off, that he would find me again. That if I didn't do as I was told, that she would be beaten. That that I even started to believe that maybe he was a god and that maybe he saw everything that was going on and that maybe he really was looking out for our well-being and that that even if I got away, even if I didn't care about Nastia, even if I could just pretend like none of that happened that he would still find me. I mean, that went on even after I finally got away for, for years where, where I simply couldn't go out alone that when I would go to a restaurant or a coffee shop that I would always need to have my back to a wall so that I could see everything that was going on, that I was always paying attention to who would come in, where people were, where the doors were, and that I knew that he just wouldn't care if he made a scene, that if people saw, because because he would take me again and that there was nothing that anyone could do to stop him. That's got to be so terrifying to feel that helpless. Yeah. There were so many mind games that happened daily that were designed so that the only thing we could trust was him. That above all else, he was honest. And that even when he lied, it felt like the truth. Nastia became pregnant. Yes. Uh, How long into the ordeal did that happen? I can't really remember for sure. It was like eight, nine months in. So you've been at this place held against your will for several months. What, what was your, what did a typical day look like? What do you, what do you do during the day? We would wake up at about five thirty in the morning so that we could prepare breakfast for Larry, that we could uh, sit down at his feet while he would eat it and tell him that we really appreciated everything that he did for us and that he cared for us. And then when he would leave for work, we would be allowed to have a nap. After that, we would wake up and clean the whole house, absolutely everything, scrubbing the baseboards, the walls, the ceilings, bathrooms, everything to make sure that things were exactly as he wanted him and that that he would be happy, but he also wouldn't be able to use any of those things to 
justify punishment. And David is supervising all of this. Yes. During the day. Usually sitting in the living room, watching a, uh, watching a movie and that he would keep an eye on us. And that if he, if he thought something was up, he would say, he would just call out, ask where we were. And we'd just say, like, I'm in the bathroom or I'm in the hall. You'd say, just checking. And then we would get everything ready, cook dinner, have it ready, sitting on the table and waiting for Larry when he got home. And at that point, we were allowed to sit down with him on the couch only time during the day when we were allowed to really be at his level and we would watch a TV, a movie or, or listen to one of us read a book. Family time. Yes. Uh, so to speak, <laughs> that's, that's what it felt like. That's how it felt. Yeah. That's how it felt. At a certain time, somewhere along now is when, Another person is abducted. Yes. It's just, like I said at the beginning, there's so many elements to the story that are just so unreal. Tell us about Polina. Around 10 months in, it seemed like Larry was getting bored. It seemed like he was falling into too much of a routine and that it was angering him. He had started going in and having a regular sleeping schedule with... Uh, the both of us whenever he wanted it and that we were allowed to stay with him. It was the only time we were allowed to sleep in a bed too, but he seemed increasingly bored and upset just day after day. And then he disappeared for several days where Nasty and I were cooking food, waking up, trying to do our routine and he wasn't there. We didn't know what to do. And then he came back and came back with uh, Polina. And he, immediately after bringing her in, he would instruct me to, to tie her up, to, to show her what was expected. And, and I did it. I tied her up. I, put my hands around her throat. I whispered to her and said that it was all going to be okay. And then he, and then he told me to rape her. And that kindness that I thought I was showing her by trying to say that, that she didn't need to worry about what was going on. That trust was immediately destroyed that, that I knew that he must have hurt me or that this whole thing was a plan to, to show that I was not on their side, that I was just as cruel and heartless as they could be. And that, I couldn't be trusted that I was that I was an extension of them, that Nastia was an extension of them, that what was expected was that we were to follow his instructions 
to the letter. And after that point, Polina hated all of us. She would go out of her way when we were trying to explain what was going on, what the rules were, how to keep Larry happy, how to keep the bad things from happening. And she'd pretend to follow along. And then 15 minutes before Larry gets home, she would throw something across the room and make a, a huge mess. Trying to make him upset, trying to make us afraid. And even to go in and say that we were acting out and that that it was our fault that things were not as he wanted them. And would she not get punished for those things as well? Oh, she absolutely would. Uh, especially those first few times when it's, oh, this is all Tyson's fault. He did this. Where she would be taken and beaten or his... Uh, favorite thing to do with her was to uh, throw a rope around her neck and hang her. But yeah, it's it became clear that she would be punished for our mistakes. So then she started to make mistakes of her own. And at that point, Nastia and I were needing to watch her every moment of the day to try to make sure that she did as she was told that she couldn't sabotage us, <laughs> trying to avoid anything happening to her or to us or or to just make things feel normal again. Normal is a very what <laughs> normal may not be the appropriate word in this in this scenario here, I don't think. No, it's really all perspective and mm-hmm. Over time, anything can start to feel normal. It's just a question of what the routine is and having some sense of accomplishment in what you're doing, of trust that that what you're doing is appreciated. Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon. What happened the time when Larry's car got stolen? Can you tell us about that? Front door was left unlocked again. The way that so many of these bad stories started. And... She she started off the night by trying to seduce Larry and to get close with him, have sex with him, and have him let his guard down, which he did. And she, being in the room with him after he went to sleep, uh, took his car keys. She snuck out. Went out as quietly as she could when everyone else was asleep. And then there was the sound of the car starting and of the gravel hitting the, uh, the windows of the sunroom. 
And David, Anastasia, and I woke up immediately and ran outside in order to in order to stop her. And we just saw brake lights off in the distance. Uh, David was looking around for the keys to the to the Land Rover in order to try to go after her. And Nastia and I just ran out. Polina tried to take the Lexus just right on up the hill in order to get to the highway and got it stuck. So there we were trying to trying to rock it, push it down the hill, get it all cleaned up and back into the driveway. And uh, David took her back to the house and grabbed some rope and tied her naked to a tree. And this was in the middle of the night. Yeah. She was uh, cursing us a whole lot of the time. How long was she tied to the tree? Uh, A couple days at least. Uh, We would take her out, food, water. She would yell, spit at us, scream, say that it was all our fault, that that we were all just a bunch of fucking pussies to listen to all of Larry's bullshit to not try to get away and that if you had any respect at all that you would have been gone long ago. So if she hadn't gotten the car stuck, she very well may have escaped that night. Yeah. At some point, eventually both girls became pregnant. Yes. Uh, That must've introduced lots of complications to this scene. Yes, it really did. And really a few things. It definitely seemed to make Larry a lot kinder, as though he didn't want for uh, anything bad to happen to them. Or the beatings, sure, stopped at that point for all of us. But it made it much more common for him to... Uh, go out drinking and bring uh, uh, Mike back every couple weeks, and he. So Mike is a name we haven't heard yet. How how did he come into the picture? Uh, Mike was Larry's best friend. He he viewed himself as being a a big deal in the BDSM scene, and that the only way he could be turned on was by seeing someone hurt. So he would he would come over to scratch that itch and to to do whatever entered his mind that he wanted to try where he felt very strongly the concept of consent and yet he he knew unequivocally that we wouldn't couldn't say no so he would do whatever he wanted and yeah he started coming by a whole lot more often i mean it used to be that he was only there maybe once every other month and then he started to become a pretty regular fixture even down to the point where he would join us for dinner some nights then choose someone and take them out to uh, the 
shed off to the side of the house. Like the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Whenever he would show up, both Nasty and I were, we were in tears. We were so afraid of what would happen. We knew that Mike was the sort that crossed lines who maybe even didn't see them. And Larry was the sort who would throw a noose around uh, Polina's neck and leave her there to dangle for a little bit. Mike was the sort who would tie someone to the wall, beat their ass until they bleed, choke them, and just the stuff he did, it scared me. The stuff that Larry did, it all felt tame, and so it came from love. So Nastia actually had the baby, right? Had her baby? Yes, she did. She had the baby, and... Uh, did, she have, did she go to a hospital or anything for that? Or Yeah. Larry took her over to the hospital. He told her that that we were going to be back at the house and that Mike was going to come by in order to keep an eye on us and that he'd be calling to check in on us uh, throughout the evening. And she went off with him, had the baby, was there for a couple days, came back, and she at least told us that she kept her mouth shut. And afterwards, Larry had manipulated and lied to her and all those sorts of things and told her that that she would need to marry him and that if she even thought of running off of doing anything that that he would that he would take her baby that he would either see her dead or deported or to make sure that that she would never ever see anyone of them again and that she would never feel happiness again was she what was her status as a resident in the u.s she was she here Ill- illegally i honestly don't know i i know that she wasn't born here i know that the that for sure she was uh she was from flat of Lastock, and she i think she probably came on a green card but i don't know i don't know any of that stuff right she wasn't a citizen obviously so or deportation wouldn't have been a threat right so tell us about the night or the day i don't know what time it happened when you actually were able to escape larry came home from work he had dinner he told me to go to my room which i did and I laid down, went to sleep. He stormed in, was dark outside, and had his gun in his hand. And he told me that I was going to die. That either I could make him happy one last time, and that he would make it easy for me, or... I could fight and that he would that he would make it something that I would beg for him to end it. He 
grabbed me, threw me to the ground, and knocked over everything that was on there. I had a chessboard on my nightstand that shattered, and I fell right on top of it. He grabbed me to to pull me to my knees, and I took one of those pieces and just shoved it straight into his stomach, and then got up and started running. And this was broken glass? Or what was the chessboard made of? Uh, marble. Marble, okay. And as I, I got up, started running, a couple gunshots missed me. And I ran to the front door, was unlocked again. And I just kept running rather than before where I followed the, the road. I took off into the forest to the right in order to try to take a shortcut to where the grocery store would be to try to make sure that I wouldn't be seen if he was on the road looking for me. I kept running found my way to the highway, ran up there, was was trying to flag down people for what felt like forever. And a, a cop finally stopped for me. He, he seemed angry that I was standing in the middle of the road and that I was trying to get myself killed. He didn't seem like he believed a single word that I said. And he frisked me, put me in his car, and uh, took me out to the bus station on the other end of the canyon. This whole time I was worried about everything, about, about what was going on with Larry, if Larry was going to be okay, if... Wait a minute, you were worried if he was going to be okay? From You mean from where you stabbed him? <laughs> You were worried yeah. about his well-being. <laughs> yeah, it, I know. Thinking back on it, it's uh, yeah, uh, the sorts of things that go through your mind. I was worrying about him. I was trying to make sure that he'd be okay. I was trying to think that if he wouldn't be, what would happen to Nastia Polina? About how none of the stuff that was happening seemed like it was going to be okay. Me be in a car, driving away from them. This guy who seemed like he wouldn't even listen to a damn thing that I was saying, and as though I... So I was inconveniencing him, as though he... As though he would rather be doing absolutely anything else. Well, you you know, the story you were telling him was so outlandish I, I could kind of understand how he wouldn't believe it, but on the other hand, you know, his job is to protect the citizens of the uh, town there, and you were one of them. Seems like he he would need to at least investigate to see if what you were saying was true. I can't help but feel that if I had been a woman, that he would have listened, that he would have cared, that he would have done something rather than rather than thinking I was just nuts. And I mean, doing something like taking a statement, doing something other than leaving me at goddamn bus stop 
anything at all. I mean, the thought that the thought that that there I was in the car going the wrong direction, that we were not going back there, we were not going to check on them, that I was that I knew nothing of what was happening, that that maybe Larry was okay. Maybe he was so angry that that he'd already killed both of them, that that any of this stuff that I was in tears. I was horrified. I just couldn't. I even kept thinking that all I, that I, I just need to get back there, that I need to make sure that everyone, including him, were okay. That I'd made this horrible mistake. That maybe, yes, that I should have stayed there, that I shouldn't have stabbed him, that maybe this was all just one of his games in order to play out a fantasy. Maybe, maybe a thousand different things I didn't know. And, and that I, that I shouldn't have left. And how far away is the bus station from the house? Maybe 20 to 30 miles uh, off to the northwest. Oh, so it was too far for you to walk back then. Yeah. So what did you do at the from the bus station? I slept there overnight. And then I, I tried to call a couple friends who wouldn't pick up the phone because some random number or whatever else like that. Uh, they couldn't call me back because... Uh, you know, was at a payphone using change that I'd found on the ground. And at that point, yes, I started walking back to try to get myself back there. And this other car stopped for me. This uh, woman with a uh, uh, silver Dodge and that she at least drove me to the exit. And I... I pretended like everything was okay and that I was just stuck and needed to get home. So I got back there. I found out that that Larry and David had been gone, that they'd that after everything that happened, they left and that they thought that he was at the hospital and that they didn't know what to do. So it's just you and the girls there at the house. Yeah. Then. And then we left. We all just kind of took off. <laughs> and uh, Polina, I maybe talked to her a few times after that, where she told me just how much she hated me, you know, sort of the usual. And uh, for Nastia, that after everything that happened, she she needed to get back with him, to care for him, to... To just make sure that that he would be okay, that there's that their son would be okay, and that she knew that it was something that she needed to do. I went over to the police station to file a report. It was covered in bruises. Now, how, let me stop you here for a second. How long from the time you were first abducted till you went to the police station to make a report that night? How much time had passed overall? About a year and a half. So the report you were going to make was 
about all of that, that you were yeah kidnapped and held against your will for a year and a half. Yeah. That I was there, that these other girls had been taken, that all this stuff that had happened. And what I was told was that I had no proof that that any of it was was really a kidnapping that that I wasn't there voluntarily that I wasn't just a roommate that that people have all sorts of you know relationships and just because uh this guy was being intimate with well a couple different girls and a guy that not really anything against the law there but I went in and stabbed him that I was openly saying that yes I had did that in order to get away and that that seemed like the only thing that was actually a crime and that if he pressed charges that that I would be arrested that's just another really such an oddball turn in this whole thing that it all the way it comes out is like oh it's just a domestic squabble and you're the one that could be arrested yeah because I went in and stabbed someone, which, you know, aggravated assault and, you know, maybe attempted murder or who knows what. And that really it was just his word at this point. And that if he went in and said anything, that that he would again have complete control over me and what happened. And that, at least for quite some time really cemented the whole he is very much still in control thing so so yeah i ran away i left the state i went to a friend of mine who was living in edmonds and i told him that i really needed money that that i needed to get away that it was that if i didn't i was going to die and i believed it and he seemed like he believed it too. So he Of course, now this is a friend you haven't been in contact with for at least a year and a half. Yeah, I mean it's uh I met Dieter, you know, that friend in middle school and we'd been talking and spending time together ever since. I I went to concerts with him. I stayed at his house so many times. Uh So he was the obvious one to call then. Yeah. He jokingly even said that uh, his parents uh, uh, loved me a whole lot more than they loved him. <laughs> I mean, I uh, I was really close with all of them. Did you tell him the whole story? No, <laughs> not for years. So he, when you called him, you were just in a bad spot. You needed some quick help. Yeah. I knew in my mind that if I told anyone else what happened that Larry would come after them, that he would hurt them, that he would do to them what he did to me, or I don't even know what. I mean, all manner of uh, justifications of of everything. I mean, because at that point, yeah, I, uh, I was really drinking the Kool-Aid and I was believing every word that he said. So you went, you were able to go and stay with his friend? Oh, no, I didn't stay with them. He uh, bought me a train ticket to go and hop the Amtrak, and I went out to Denver for a little while, and I had a, a few hundred bucks there. And that was that. 
I had tried to go by the house where my family, well, now used to live, and it was up for sale. No one was there, and Dieter didn't have any idea where they were, just that I guess they moved. So, yeah, I... So you didn't know where your parents were then? No. When I finally got in touch with them, they, I told them what happened about all this. And the only thing that, that my mom seemed to hear was that I was in a homosexual relationship with uh, this guy. And that not only that, I allowed him to, to beat me. And... And I didn't raise someone to be gay. And I didn't raise someone to be abused. And I didn't raise someone to do this. And do you have any idea what this means to me? What this means for me? How this makes me look? You know, being her at this point. So it was all about the appearances of what people would think of her if this all came out. And... They disowned me. They didn't want anything to do with me. They wouldn't take my phone calls. My sister would even go around telling people that she was an only child. So yeah, I didn't have them to turn to. I just, I, I can't imagine the feeling of such um, being alone. I mean, typically if something happens, you break off from friends or whatever you think, well, at least I've got my family to go back to. But that wasn't even an option. Right. I kept feeling that I shouldn't have left, that things were going to be okay, that maybe I could even go back. Maybe he'd forgive me. <laughs> and then I... Me not having any friends, just went in and... uh got another job and was trying to support myself and staying as far away from everyone as I could to basically just throw myself into my work, work longer and harder than anyone else. And to feel as though I was irreplaceable there simply so that I would have some sort of safety net so that someone would know me, remember me that, I just couldn't be taken again, but also making sure that, along with all that, the complete contrary view of being completely forgettable. Not being someone's friend, more just being this really, really good guy at work. Yeah, it took years to be able to, to just find enough trust to, to call someone a friend, even though I viewed them more as acquaintances and kept them off in the distance and would view it more as an I'm I'm there for you, but I am not going to tell you shit. You're not going to know anything about me, and I'm going to keep it all really superficial and sounding incredibly boring to the point that none of them could in any way feel bad or self-conscious or uh, worrying about you know, whatever, and that somewhere in that process, they would, they would be someone that 
I could get close to over time, and that they would view me as a friend, and that had to count for something, even though I wouldn't even begin to trust them. Have you gone through, have you gotten counseling or therapy? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think six years at this point. It's, uh, it feels like it's been helpful. I mean, what, it's now at the point that I can talk to people. I have some friends. I am even married. Uh, That's getting close to someone. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. It was really hard for quite a long time to just to feel as though I could open up to someone that I could that I could be okay being me that I could be okay just being around them that I could be okay having them in the same room as me and not be afraid anytime that I hear someone make a noise the floor creak say something when I wasn't expecting it what I feel hearing this from you is respect just to be able to talk about this and, you know, recount this incredibly horrible situation that happened to be able to, I mean, that's obviously a lot of, that's a lot of progress for you to be able to, you know, to be able to do this, but it took a while though. Without question. It was, it was very hard for quite some time when I, wanted to try to forget it, where I wanted to try to pretend that it didn't exist, and yet where it defined so much about me, where uh, where if I were going somewhere and felt like there was even a, a chance that I might be staying overnight or need to sleep, that there I needed to like take my own blankets with me just so that I could feel some sense of normalcy, that I could be able to clutch them and know that while being there in the dark, that I am not just waking up from some fantasy and finding myself back there. Yeah. You want to know that everything is still okay. Yeah. Have you had any contact with the girls since then? Yeah. I've, uh, I've been speaking with, uh, Nastia maybe, once or twice a year since then. So I know that a couple of years ago, she ended up getting her citizenship and then finally leaving Larry that she was able to basically destroy any trust or credibility that he had as a person, get him fired from his job and ostracized from his friends. And that now she feels like, her life is finally back on track where she's uh, putting herself into creative things like a uh, uh, Etsy clothing style stuff and caring for her son. It's no longer even thought of uh, even for a moment that he's theirs. And as though she can kind of get on with her life and be okay. And I've been trying to do the same too. I'm imagining the, the day when her son is old enough to say, tell me about dad. What was he like? That's going to be a very uh, difficult conversation, I'm sure. Without question. Mm-hmm. I, I hadn't even thought about that. And what about Polina? Do you hear from her at all? Oh, no. I she didn't like least. you. She's not going <laughs> to contact you. Yeah. Uh, I'd maybe spoken with her twice since this all happened. And uh, Nastia as well. Uh, 
she basically just cut us completely out of her life. What is your life like today? Well, I'm married. I try to go in and uh, be someone that people can trust and look up to and to really do a good job at work and no longer being the irreplaceable one. Going in and making friends, spending time with them every once in a while, trying to do game nights. I have some poodles now that are a huge part of my life. Dogs are incredible therapy. Yeah. And you have your emergency contact information on on file? (laughs) Yeah, uh, I've made sure of that one for the past few years. Well, it seems like you've obviously made a whole lot of progress. Yeah. I mean, there's still the there's still the time that I need to run off and collect my thoughts in my closet, where I can make the world a little smaller and easier to tackle. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to break away from that. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to go somewhere and spend a night without my blanket. I mean, even as I'm talking to you and everything, I... <laughs> I have it right here. (laughs) You know, some sort of miscellaneous item to remind myself of where I am and that I'm okay. There's something about a blanket. You know, I mean, obviously that's very common with kids, especially that it's just that, that sense of security. I mean, that's why it's called a security blanket. Yes, absolutely. I feel that it's important for people to know that that when in abusive situations, and this definitely was that, that it's okay to to question things and to feel like like it's okay to matter. Like you you are allowed to have a say in these situations. That I I keep wondering so many times if if I would have been there now and if I would have done anything different and I want to believe that I will because I've grown from it. But the only thing I really do know for sure is that I know now how much I need to trust and respect myself and that remembering to trust yourself is it's probably the most important part to being able to let go of the past and to try to to try to even just be okay making a plan for the future. And the future is where your hope is. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a a future to look forward to now. Yeah, I mean the future isn't just about where I want to be in 5 years. It's about being okay expressing that that I want to go out for sushi. And I want to do that tomorrow. It's about knowing that that tomorrow is good enough to plan for. And to know that no matter what happens today, it's really not that bad. And that I shouldn't spend all my time worrying about it. Because here I've accomplished so many things. Here I've been through so much that no matter how bad today is, that that I've already been through a whole lot worse. So this can't really be all that bad. You're able to handle it. Yeah. Just smile and figure it out. It's a good outlook. Tyson, I appreciate you sharing your story. 
I hope you continue to do well. Me too, and thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. My goal for each show is to introduce you to people and stories that you just won't find on other podcasts. If you want to help support the show, you just need to subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode. You can click on any of the subscribe buttons on the website, which is whatwasthatlike.com. You'll see all the links right there at the top where you can subscribe directly to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or on whatever app you use to catch your podcasts. And you'll see there are also links to Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow us there, and I hope you do. And if you really want to connect with me and get in on the discussion with other listeners to this show, you can join our private Facebook group. You can find that at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash Facebook. And of course, you can always email me directly at scott at whatwasthatlike.com or just go to the website and click on contact. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode or a previous episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the next show where we'll once again ask the question, what was that like?